This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 29, The San Pedro Poltergeist. San Pedro, California is a comparatively sleepy suburb of Los Angeles. A walkable and calm community of two-lane streets lined with Mediterranean-style bungalows and mid-century duplexes. This beautiful little beach town offers a rare chance for small-town living within L.A. County. It is in one of these modest bungalows where for a three-year period beginning in November of 1988, a single mother of two found herself subjected to one of the most terrifying experiences imaginable. Having recently removed herself from an abusive marriage, Jackie Hernandez would soon find the lives of herself and her children once again orbiting around the gravity of a seemingly demented male figure. This time it would not be a familiar menace. This time she was forced by financial instability to share her home with the San Pedro poltergeist. Having broken ties with her former husband, the newly separated and pregnant Jackie Hernandez was feeling optimistic about her future as she and a small group of friends moved the belongings of her and her two-year-old son Jamie into a small bungalow at 591 West 11th Street in San Pedro. Unfortunately, that optimism would almost immediately be dashed by the undeniably oppressive feeling inside the home. She and her friends agreed at the end of a long day of moving that they could not help but feel as though they were being watched whenever they found themselves alone in a room. Jackie, determined to remain positive at the start of this new phase of her life, wrote this off as the feeling of being in a new and unfamiliar place. It wasn't long before she could no longer ignore the otherworldly nature of the atmosphere. In the first few months of her residency, she continued to feel as though she were being watched. She often found herself quickly spinning around trying to catch a glimpse of whatever it was that had its eye on her. While this never yielded any visual confirmation of her feelings, the voyeuristic entity would soon make itself known in no uncertain terms. By the spring of 1989, small and generally harmless activity was becoming commonplace. Objects frequently went missing from their rightful place in the house, only to be found later exactly where she had initially expected them to be. Unexplained knocks, shaking walls, and inexplicable strange odors became a part of everyday life. While this wore on Jackie's nerves, she was faced with the fact that her only financially viable alternative would be returning to the home of her abuser. These occurrences were bizarre, but she didn't yet feel as though she or her children were in any real danger. 
She could, for the most part, rationalize the strangeness as her mind playing tricks on her. Any chance of that vanished one cool night in March. She had just laid her son down for bed. She turned on the television and sat on the couch when, from the corner of her eye, she spotted a pencil case hovering two feet above the table in the hallway. She turned to look, assuming once again that her mind was playing tricks on her. As soon as her eyes locked on the levitating stationery, it flew through the air into the living room as if someone had thrown it, and smashed open on the floor in an explosion of pencils just three feet from her. Terrified by the unexplainable phenomenon, she rushed into her son's room, pulled him from his bed, and ran to the neighbor's house to escape. Having befuddled that neighbor and finding herself without a clue of how to proceed, she called the police. Her story was, of course, met with skepticism and even derision. They offered nothing but a weak attempt to calm her through thinly veiled mockery. Regardless, Jackie knew what she had seen. She began to see the strange occurrences in her home from a new perspective. With no other option available, she packed up her child and walked back across the street to sleep in a home where she now knew they were not alone. Her friends were initially skeptical as well but soon they would have direct interactions that would leave them convinced. While having dinner together, she and her neighbor, Susan Castaneda, were enjoying each other's company when, from the adjoining room, they heard something crash to the floor. Startled, they both stood from the table and walked into the living room to find a large painting lying, glass-shattered, ten feet from where it had been hanging on the wall. One month later, Susan reported seeing a lamp float seven feet across a room before being dropped to the floor at her feet. Jackie was relieved by the fact that her friends had begun sharing in these experiences. She desperately needed to know that she wasn't losing her mind, and having the chance to discuss these otherworldly stressors in her life made her feel much more at ease. Whether it was in response to this decreased tension in Jackie, or just the natural progression of the haunting, circumstances would soon take a dramatic turn. Following the birth of her daughter, Samantha, the activity in the house saw an entirely new level of disconcertion. It was a blisteringly hot night in June, when while sweeping the floor and tending to small chores around the house, Jackie noticed a thick, dark red liquid dripping down the kitchen wall from the seam at the ceiling. She leaned the broom against the counter and slowly touched a finger to the viscous substance. To her, it smelled like pennies. She was immediately convinced that it was blood. Had something died in the attic above? Fighting her gag reflex, she climbed onto her washing machine in order to access the panel in the ceiling. Stealing her nerves, she swallowed hard and placed her palms on the particle board panel. She lifted it straight up and felt a rush of hot, putrid air hit her face. She dropped the panel and dropped to her knees retching into a pile of laundry beside the washing machine. The dead animal theory was feeling more and more likely. While the smell overwhelmed her, the idea that this was some manifestation of the spirits in her home moved further from her mind, and that relaxed her. After composing herself, she again stood up and pushed the wood panel to the side. Peeking her head into the attic, she saw mostly nothing wood rafters lit up intermittently by shafts of moonlight. As she pivoted to survey the east end of the space, however, she was met with a horrifying sight. Clearly visible in the corner of the room, 
A disembodied head floated about three feet above the attic floor. Pallid gray skin, long stringy thin hair and a grimacing expression. Eyes seemingly glowing with menace. Jackie felt as though she were locked in its deranged gaze. It was several moments before she realized that she was holding her breath as the severed head seethed with otherworldly rage. She let out the hot, formerly baited breath, and the head opened its mouth wide as it suddenly shot across the room toward her. She heard a scream before it realized it was coming from her own mouth, and dropped to her knees on top of the washing machine. It was there that she laid in a mess of sweat and tears, telling herself that she would never set foot in the attic again. Unfortunately, avoiding the attic would not allow Jackie to avoid the entity that lived in her home. It wasn't a month later when Jackie had once again put the children down for the night. She had settled into the couch to relax and watch television. As she reached for the remote, she noticed, at the threshold between the living room and the hallway, a thick black mist drifting into the room. She froze. As the mist floated just above the floor, through the living room, and into the kitchen, she again held her breath. Immediately following its exit from the room, she jumped from the couch and raced in to check on her children. The boy slept peacefully on the top bunk, and his baby sister could be heard lightly snoring in her crib across the room. But what immediately drew Jackie's eye was the unexpected visitor sitting casually below her son on the bottom bunk. An impossibly thin old man. The gaunt gray skin and stringy long hair were all too familiar. The face from the attic this time attached to a gangly, decrepit body in a red flannel shirt and gray trousers. He sat cross-legged on the mattress and stared menacingly at her with glowing red eyes. Jackie sprung into action, racing across the room for her daughter. She lifted the tiny toddler from her place in the crib and turned, wondering how she would get around this appalling apparition. Spinning toward the bed, determined to make it work, she was relieved to find that the ghostly grandfather was now nowhere to be found. Later, when she had finally calmed herself enough to get her daughter back to sleep, she made a promise to herself that she would get to the bottom of this activity no matter what it took. She may not have had the resources to leave this place, but she could no longer make excuses that it was out of her hands. She was determined to find some answers. In consultation with her friends, she decided to reach out to a well-known parapsychologist that they had recently seen on television. Dr. Barry Taff was a research associate at UCLA's world-renowned parapsychology lab. His decades-long career included the investigation of over 4,000 instances of Fortean phenomenon. The peak of his renown came as a result of the investigation of the Doris Bithers haunting, eventually inspiring the Hollywood blockbuster The Entity. She reached out to his team in late July of 1989, and on August 8th, they arrived at her home for the first time for a preliminary interview. Their first observation, made immediately upon entering the house, was an incredibly powerful and pungent odor that seemed to be coming from the attic. Along with this was an almost constant barrage of footsteps racing back and forth overhead. When Jackie described her experience in the attic, the team decided that it had to be explored that evening. They wanted to rule out any rational explanations for what had occurred. The team's principal photographer, Gary Bowen, and his assistant, Jeff Wheatcraft, 
climbed into the attic to explore the scene of the unearthly happening. The plan was simple. They would yell down to the waiting team about any feedback regarding the environment. They both described a weight in the air far beyond simple humidity. Several minutes went by, and Jackie and the rest of the team waited anxiously. Suddenly, a panicked scream burst from the hole in the ceiling. A wave of equal panic rolled through the waiting group below as the sound of running footsteps pounded across the ceiling. Jeff and Gary practically jumped through the access panel and into the laundry room. Jeff explained that, in total darkness, the two men had chosen to stand back to back. He had taken his camera out to take a photo of their surroundings. Just as he was about to snap the first photo, something ripped the camera from his hands. Alarmed, they had run for the only source of light and escaped the attic. Jeff and Gary moved unsteadily to the porch and sat together trying to shake off what had just happened. They had been on many of these inquiries, but had never been faced with what seemed to be irrefutable proof of the paranormal. Soon they had their feet back under them and headed back up to the attic to locate the camera. They found it there in two pieces the body of the camera lying on the east end of the attic, the lens some 40 feet away in the northwest corner. It was obvious to the team that whatever entity occupied the attic did not want to be photographed. Taft sat down with Jackie to complete the interview and collected a sample of the liquid that leaked down her kitchen walls before leaving for the night. He stayed in contact in the following weeks, learning about her background in greater detail. He came to the conclusion that her history of abuse and financial insecurity contributed to her spiritual vulnerability. Three weeks after the initial visit, Jackie reached out to Taff in a state of panic. She breathlessly described what had just happened. I just... Things were flying all over the house. Books, toys, the phone, the table. I tried to turn the table back over. Something grabbed me. I couldn't see it, but it was there. It was holding my shoulders. I hit my head on the wall, and I woke up on the ground. It was on top of me, holding me. I couldn't breathe. I tried to scream, and and it let me go. I think it's gone now. Can you just get over here? The team was there within the hour, and Jeff and Gary, once again in the attic, once again faced the specter head on. Assessing the space in darkness, they found themselves surrounded by glowing orbs, Amazed by the complete lack of observable sources, they took photo after photo. There was a near-continuous series of what sounded like snapping fingers. They surrounded them. Startled by this new phenomenon, Jackie called up to the attic. Come down here, please. As she waited with bated breath, the sound of their footsteps was suddenly interrupted by a panicked scream and the sudden shuffling of feet. In response, Gary spun toward the source of the scream and snapped a photo. What the photo shows is a panicked Jeff Wheatcraft, pinned against a rafter with a cord wrapped tightly around his throat. Shocked by what the flash revealed, Gary ran across the attic to his bound companion. He fought to dig his sweaty fingers between the cord and Jeff's neck as the toe of his boots barely managed to scrape the floor. As soon as he did manage to get his fingers beneath the cord, it loosened, and Jeff's heels found the floor beneath him. He pulled the cord over his head and climbed down from the attic, traumatized. 
Bewildered by the sudden uptick in activity, the team felt it best to retreat. They left the home of Ms. Hernandez soon after. They promised to return in the coming days to ensure the family's safety, but this would be the last time she ever saw any of them inside the San Pedro house. When it became apparent that they would not be returning, and the activity continued to increase in frequency, Jackie decided to withdraw her meager savings, pull up stakes, and move her children nearly 400 miles north to a trailer park in Weldon, California. Here she found peace. No heavy feeling, no inexplicable noises, no rancid odors. Unfortunately, this period of peace would not last. In April of 1990, she began hearing scratching sounds inside of her storage shed. When she investigated, she found the shed to be empty. This happened over and over until she began to ignore it. Then she began to see orbs floating around the trailer. A week later, two neighbors were helping her move a TV into the trailer. They both claimed to have seen the reflection of an old man that matched Jackie's description of the entity back in San Pedro inside the screen. The first weekend of May in 1990 would prove to be the climax of terror in the house. While preparing dinner, she noticed a familiar black fog forming at the head of the hallway. Remembering what this preceded the last time she had spotted it, she rushed down the hall to check on her children. As she stepped over the threshold into their bedroom, the bedspread covering her daughter's bed burst into flames. Terrified by this increasingly dangerous attachment, Jackie tried once again to reach out to Taff and his team. They returned her call for the first time in months. In a desperate attempt to understand the reason behind this persistent poltergeist, they decided to try communicating using a Ouija board. And so, Barry Taff, Jeff Wheatcraft, Jackie, and her friend and neighbor Tina Lawler sat down at her kitchen table on a hot evening in June to attempt contact. Expecting very little, they were all shocked by how immediate and forceful responses came. The table shook under them as the planchette shot from letter to letter. How many ghosts are there in here? Phantoms fill the skies around you. Why did you attack Jeff? Because you are the likeness of my killer. Why are you tormenting Jackie? Energy. What kind of energy? Jackie moved from house to house over the following years, attempting to outrun the relentless wraith. The activity would calm for months upon moving, only to return soon after. Finally, in the fall of 1993, after moving into a condo in downtown LA, the activity stopped for good. It is unknown how or why the entity stopped terrorizing the young mother, but it was obviously a welcome development. How or why did this entity attach itself to Jackie Hernandez? Did her emotional state and history of abuse leave her vulnerable to psychic attack? Was it standing on the precipice of motherhood that attracted the attention of the deranged daemon? Regardless, we can all be thankful that one of the most distressing instances of paranormal infestation, the San Pedro Poltergeist, had a truly happy ending. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Ryan. 
And I'm Jordan. And uh, now the debrief. All right. Yes. Uh, welcome, campers. Hopefully, uh, you've enjoyed the episode. Um, I know I, for one, am super creeped out. It was uh, yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, it's a good one for sure. Um, a lot of really cool stuff that's happened in this one, which is an actual true poltergeist haunt, which is awesome. Yeah, those are those are the ones I super dig. I mean, we had I think our last one was uh, uh, the the one that was based on or that that one Netflix movie was based off of, right? Veronica. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was more of a possession turn poltergeist, right? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, this is nice. It's a nice, uh, nice, you know, just change a little bit here. Um, okay, so just, you know, kind of just recapping here. Uh, lady with a child, pregnant with another, leaves her abusive husband, moves into, you know, these kind of, uh, this area in Los Angeles, uh, basically just starts seeing some weird shit, right? Yeah, yeah, that's how it starts. And so now, and basically, so I guess you even mentioned like day one, the time of moving in, they started to feel uneasy and like something was watching them. Yeah. Uh, her and her like friends felt it presence, immediately. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, that right there, which is kind of surprising because a lot of these you get into, it's, you know, normally a little while later, just like her other, you know, encounters that happened after she'd moved, you know, were, yeah. you know, kind of after after some time right so you know in this one you know something is something's gonna happen right away yeah something it's like something was there just waiting for her like very different yeah so and i guess we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit as we get into the episode um you know because this is more of a latch right than a simple haunting again is an actual traditional poltergeist case yeah definitely. so basically she she kind of just chalks this off of new surroundings new area as everyone does yeah i mean yeah. you move into a new home sometimes it's 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 strange you know you'll see here kind of just creaks and things like that you're not used to the you know the the way that the pipes and stuff are in you know different things like that yeah. you'll especially in older homes you know for sure. You hear these sounds that it just can always be chalked up to just your mind playing tricks on you. You're in a new home. Yep. Now, cut to, you know, she's been in there a little bit of time. You know, some days have passed, basically. Because, uh, I mean, at this point, it's literally just days have passed. When yeah. she starts to, she continues feeling like she's being watched and um, you know, tries to basically kind of kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah, I think it like it really sinks in at like a lot faster than you expect because it's just a few days before she starts like spinning around trying to see what's looking at her. Right. Like she's yeah. feeling that watched. Yeah, and that's what that's what was off putting for me because of how quickly and how rapidly like this progresses. Yeah. Um is it that's a little out of the ordinary from a lot of cases, you know, similar. Yeah, and this is not a woman who's, like, jumpy or sold on paranormal activity at all before she moved into this house. Like, in interviews, you hear her talk about how, like, she never believed in any of this before she moved into this house. Yeah, I mean, you know, and obviously, given her emotional state and things like that, I'm sure, like, 
this was uh, obviously this is a new thing for her too, like moving yeah. in, being away from her husband. You know, she's on her own with her child. She's pregnant with another. Like, I mean, you know that that already is taking a toll on her, right? Yeah. So not only do you have that going on, you have mother mother instinct being very protective. You know, feeling like you have to make sure that your children, child child to be in this case um mm-hmm. are well protected and you know there's nothing that's going to affect that uh um, yeah. you know so <laughs> yeah um you know so again i guess you know so a little bit of time starts to pass uh spring of 1989 i believe it was uh she starts to notice objects are kind of missing you know from where she would normally leave them and then come back some time later they're back you yeah. know, obviously something messing with her at that point. Yeah, which for is, sure. you know, kind of, kind of mean and terrible, but it's also kind of, it's funny. also, yeah, it's also a little bit cute. Right. right exactly. Like, you, if, yeah. If you, you think of like that, like maybe it's not so bad, you know, like right. maybe it's like a, maybe it's like a ghost of a child that's just having some fun, you know? Sure. And that's always fine. Yeah. However, always. that obviously was not the case. <laughs> no. Um, Most certainly not the case. Like, the thing that was really off-putting for me was when she, like, starts to hear, like, the knocks, but not only that, the odors. The yes. smells. You know, especially once you start to smell, like, and especially when you, you're smelling things like sulfur, like you know, like a rotten egg scent and things like that, that, you're not just dealing with a normal homegrown ghost case. Right. You're and smelling so, fucking brimstone. Yeah, and so I don't know if that's, like, what she was smelling in this case, but obviously odors of some kind. You know, there yeah. was that smell that, the, you know, and I'm cutting ahead, but, you know, just that, like, dead, like, deathly smell that she smelled, like, in the attic, basically. Yeah, um, she described it as smelling like rotting flesh. Yeah, which, I mean, you know, if, you, if you've ever smelled, like, a decaying animal or something like that, yeah. like, yeah, I could only imagine that, but just... A hundred times worse. Yeah, I don't. I'm not familiar with the smell of like you know actual rotting flesh, so I I can't say. But I would imagine right. it's it's at least a hundred times, if not more than that, worse. You know. Um, yeah, and it should be noted, it wasn't in the story, but the first time the investigative team goes in the attic, they check because, of course, like oh, liquid seeping down from the ceiling and the smell that they could tell was coming from the attic. They're they assumed there's an animal's died in your attic, right? Right. And they checked the attic thoroughly, and there was there were no dead animals in the attic. And they so. didn't see anything at that particular time, right? Okay. Because I mean, yeah, because that's that was one of the next things I wanted to get into as well. I mean, I know you know she she saw like that uh, that pencil hovering and then fly across the fly across the screen or the pencil case is what it was, right? Yeah. Um, fly across like the room and then burst open and stuff and you know throw pencils everywhere. Um yeah. you know, and then so yeah, I mean, you know, kinda kinda getting back just to just to kinda like the timeline here. And then, you know, obviously that would freak me out. Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. You, you know, you're seeing you're seeing like something obviously physically hovering. That's <laughs> that's not normal. Yeah, something point blank inexplicable right yeah, in front exactly. of you. Exactly. 
Yeah, like yeah. so you're seeing that, and I mean that right there would I would I would instantly be like, yes, I, I you know I mean I know she was you know not really a believer or anything like that, never dealt with any of that, whatever. But instantly my mind would be changed. Yeah, she it it pretty much was. I do, that's I like the moment. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the moment where she flips. Like that's when she starts actually like talking to neighbors and friends about. All the yeah. things she's been experiencing, and, you said, like, and the neighbors like nonchalantly mocked her. Basically, well, the police did. Oh, the police. Okay, she, that was my yeah. misunderstanding. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. So it wasn't the neighbors because you, the neighbor, uh, who was it? Susan. Yeah. Um. So eventually, they end up having what, like dinner at Jackie's house? I guess is the way that I understood yeah. it. And then so Susan sees this lamp basically start floating. Um. Again something floating in the air yeah like very out of the ordinary not a normal occurrence that would happen day to day like yeah yeah i mean that that right there i i don't know man i think i would i would have at least at that point i would think okay like something something's going on maybe i don't want to be here yeah because it's not no, the like first the cutesy little like you know, like we were talking, like a child just removing things and putting it back, like tricky, tricky, whatever else. No, no, this is far worse, obviously, far more in depth. Yeah, the first thing that happened with the neighbor was the painting being thrown ten feet off the wall, and then within a week That's... they had the experience with the lamp. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was the other part. I just napped down. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then basically crashing to the floor. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hey, I mean, I understand. I understand her position she was in. Yeah, and obviously probably didn't have a whole lot saved up, you know, and she's trying to get away from this abusive relationship. Like, I mean, she's going to take anything she can basically get at that point. Yeah. And just focus on raising her children, you know, making sure that, you know, she's providing like a protective environment for them. Yeah. So... With that, she ends up having her daughter, Samantha, right? Yep. Um, and so, and that's where she starts to see the, the liquid from the walls. At that point, like, yes. she, after she's had the daughter, she's kind of doing, just basically doing some choring, and starts to see this, like, red, like, seeping liquid, which yeah. immediately I thought was, I, I immediately thought blood, too. Then when you mentioned, like, it had, like, the smell of pennies. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I again, if I saw something like that, plus all the other activities she had experienced, I wouldn't just think, oh, there's a dead animal up there. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, me being more rational, is that rational at that point? <laughs> I like, have I'm no not idea. sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's, a, like, a rational thought, but, like, I feel like being more rational, I'd be like, there's something going on here. I'm not going to wait it out to find out. Yeah. I think it's a sign that, you know, maybe it's a sign that we've been digging into these cases for too long that now we're like, wait, what is rational? Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like, like, yeah. Interesting point about the liquid on the wall. Um, Barry Taff had it had it um studied. yeah you said he he had, yeah. had it analyzed and stuff right yeah yep. whatever yeah, came he sent that. it he sent it to be analyzed and they found um 
the presence of male human blood was in the liquid. Okay. There was also a high concentration of copper. Okay. Which in is going to give us that, that penny scent. Yeah. Which also is very present in the smell of blood, too, right? Right. Yeah. But yeah, so, it, huh. at least some of it was blood. And matching that of a male human. Yes. Which is what she experienced. You know, that's that's where, I guess, she you know, when she had climbed up in the attic or peeked her little head up there. Yep. And saw, like, she saw the floating head, which, I mean. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe that, really. Like, how I feel when I, like, describing, like, how I feel about that. Because it's, like, it almost seems, like, very silly. Yeah. But at the same time, just, just because it's a floating head. I mean, floating heads I don't really normally associate with, like, haunts and stuff like that. Unless it's something literally messing with you. See, um, the way... The way I took it, because you're right, if you think about it as just this like disembodied head floating in the air, right. it sounds like I don't know, it sounds like something from like Beetlejuice. You know what I mean? Like exactly. some like tongue in yeah. cheek. Yeah, yeah. It's very cheeky but, for sure. But the way I thought of it was like it probably was attached to a body. She just didn't see the body. You know what I mean? And that's fair. Like, it's, I mean, it is an apparition, right? So I imagine sometimes parts of it are visible and other parts aren't. Right. Right. And it could have almost been like more of a mist with this more like. Sure. Where she Formed. just was able to make out mostly the head. Right. That's, yeah. yeah, you're right. For sure. Also, the way the, the way the moonlight kind of shafts into these attics and the bungalows. They come in at like almost at right angles where they almost like point at each other. So I could see maybe like the top half or like the bust area of like something being illuminated by that and not the rest. That makes sense. Right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think of it like that. I mean, I just literally pictured this like floating head. Like, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, Which, yeah, I mean, that that is also pretty creepy, though. Like, you know, I mean. If I peeked my head and I was actually thinking as you were telling the story, like, as I, when I, like, I've gotten up and looked in my attic and, you know, we've done work and stuff up there, like, I could only imagine because my attic spans my whole house. And looking up there and just seeing something like this, I, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be messed up. <laughs> like, yeah. outside of what I've experienced in my own house, like, if I saw something like that, man, I, I think I'd be out. I think I'd be the out thing, for sure. The thing that messed with me about it was like it kind of locked her gaze. Like she couldn't look away from it to the point where she didn't realize she was holding her breath. Yeah, true. Right? And then like when she realizes she lets the her breath out and as soon as she does that, it just like bursts across the room toward her. And you said that when it burst across the room it was open mouthed like yeah. ah like was it gonna eat yeah. her or was it just trying to say something or was it just like a yeah. means of like just messing with her? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm I don't even know how to speculate about that about ghost <laughs> intentions. <laughs> 
maybe that's something we need to learn how to do on this show. <laughs> probably. <laughs> we should probably look into that. Yeah. I yeah. think you just like, you know, come up with a theory and pretend it's true. I think that's how most people yeah. do it. All right. That's fair. Yeah. He was eating her. She was about to become possessed. I'm sure. If Zach Baggins was there, he, <laughs> that would be his. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yes, regardless. So, yeah, so she sees this. Basically, uh, she you know ends up falling, like, you know, and trying to basically make sense at that point, right? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's when. Like, so there's, there's times there's like gaps here. So like a month later, what happened during this month? I mean, obviously nothing that was extremely notable outside of what she had experienced at that point. Right. See, that's the thing about these hauntings that I think a lot of people overlook. Like, cause a lot of people hear these stories and they hear all the bullet points of the time spent in the house. Right. Right. And they think like, how the fuck could you live like this day after day after day? And not move. But it wasn't but like, always like that. Exactly. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So like a thing like this might happen and then there might be nothing for a month. Yeah. There might be nothing for, you know, two weeks or six weeks. That's and true. And then something else That's happens. True. You know what I mean? And yeah. I mean, it's, you're a lot less likely to go get your tire replaced if like you have an issue, you know, a small issue with it once every six weeks rather yeah. than like, Oh, your tires flat every morning when you go, go to go to work. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, like, that's, that's a, you know, obviously a way different, yeah. way different thing, but yeah, I, and I think you're definitely right. I think that's something that is often dismissed in yeah. a lot of cases like this. I mean, a lot of haunts, it's, you know, you focus on what's going on and how active it, 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 you know, how active it, it is. And, you know, and then like, and then it's like, Oh, well, why did you stay there so long or whatever else? Because there yeah. were lulls in activity and that's, exactly. yeah, that's always going to be a thing, you know? So, and you spend yeah, and that six weeks of peace convincing yourself, like, cause maybe I've noticed it's all in your head or yeah, exactly. I've noticed the further people get from anomalous experiences, the less real it feels for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like whether they're actively reasoning that like, Oh, it's all in my head or not. The farther you get from it, the, the less material it seems in your life. You know what I mean? I think, I think it's also given the type of given the scenario, like in this case, you know, you have this lady that's been in a very abusive relationship for so long now yeah. finally out on her own. I think like that that has a lot it, has, it says a lot for sure just because like it could be really easy to have those things affect you as a person. Absolutely. And affect like your mental state and everything as should be expected, you know? Like yeah. that's a, yeah, that's traumatizing and you know to have that like so frequent and so active and now like that's not a thing. I mean, I'm sure like rationalizing these events and things like that could be interpreted as like maybe you know maybe this is more something that she's creating or you know sure. I mean you know if I was in that if I was in that situation like these would be my thoughts right yeah so I could yeah I could definitely see that for sure 
Also, she has a very strong motivation to not fall back on her safety net. Yeah, because that was also you know, one thing you had mentioned, like, she thought about was she could just move back home. Yeah. But then she's putting herself and her children, or child-to-be at that point, you right. know, back danger. in jeopardy. And, like, you know, and poss- yeah, possibility of danger. So, like... Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I, I definitely get it. Like, and she's trying to overcome that. She's trying to, like, do everything she can. Um, you know, and so, yeah, it definitely yeah. sucks. But so at that point, basically, this is like a month later, uh, and she ends up that one night seeing that what was it like a black mist, yeah, um, drift into the room as she's you know basically sitting down to watch TV. She just put the kids to bed. Yep. Um. So when seeing that, that was in the room with her, right? It wasn't in the going towards the room with like the children. I was just making no, it sure. Was, yeah, it was in the room with her. Okay, that's what I thought. And so I, like, I believe because the way the I've seen a few pictures inside the house. I think the way okay. the house is laid out because it was described as coming in from the hallway into the living room, and then it passes through the living room into the kitchen. I believe the hallway led to the children's room, and that's why she rushed to check on them because that's so where it, it had could come have from. Came from right, right, yeah. yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. And so, at that point, she runs back into the room, and she finds this frail old man basically sitting cross-legged, sitting up on the bottom bunk of the bed. Yeah. Just fucking staring menacingly straight at her. Forget that, man. (laughs) Right? Like, that's, that's where I would be at. Like, it's... There's a thing, you know, like... And, and and I know that we talk like about a lot like it's like you know kind of frightening or what's what's off-putting and what like, scares me versus what doesn't children being the main one but if I also see this frail old man underneath my child's bed no way I'm out yeah. because Agreed. at that point you know that the intentions are obviously Involving the most, children. Most likely negative and going to involve the children. Right. Yeah. So, like, not even not even that that would just be scary to see. It's just, no, that's like, at that point, you know something is, yeah, like, there, it, there's ill intent of some yeah. kind. Now, there was some weird stuff with the kids throughout, like, some things that didn't make it into the story. Like, during one of the investigations, they... Like, she said that she walked by, like, she had her daughter, her baby, in, like, her, um, in, like, the car seat on the front porch. Okay. Right? Yeah. And they were, like, walking back and forth. She said she bent down to, like, check on her and got up and walked in. And then her friend walked by the baby and was like, what's, what's, what's wrong with the baby? She turns around and walks back, and there's, like, this weird red mark on the baby's forehead. Ah. Like, it was literally, like, seconds. Okay. And it wasn't, like... And they were filming at the time, and, like, I saw the actual, like, footage of the red mark, and it wasn't, like... Because, you know, babies scratch themselves all the time. Right, of course. So that's what I thought initially, but then when they showed the footage, it was literally, like, a red smudge on her forehead. Like... Okay. I don't really know how to describe Could it. be like a like, fingerprint or like something, like some remnants yeah, of like a, yeah, sort a of. hand or something. 
It's almost like someone had like a like um, makeup or oil paint on their finger and pressed it on the baby's forehead. Wow, that's what it looked like. So is that like that dominant or that like? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was that crazy. that prominent on the baby's forehead. Okay, but yeah, lots of weird stuff like that, like stuff that. I don't know things that made me question because, like, like we've discussed, there are lots of reasons why she felt she had to stay, right? Yeah. But like things like that make me question, make me question the veracity right. of the whole thing because, like, I've never met a mother that wouldn't be like, "I'd rather sleep in my car than this." I mean, you know yeah, what I mean, like, and and so. <sighs> That's, I guess that's where, that's where I start to, you know, like I, I do think about is like you said, I mean, you know, most, especially single mother raising two children, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, is going to favor their lives over, over her own. Right. Of course. And is going to do everything. And, but I mean, also it's not going to want the children to have to sleep in a car or, you know, yeah. like go from place to place and stuff like that. So like I do get her being like trying to make sense of it and trying to figure it out. Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I, and I applaud her for that. But at the same time, you know, there was obviously a lot going on and even bringing that up. I mean, I can only imagine the other, you know, the, the other things that would happen with involving the kids. So that's yeah. where that reinforces that whole, like, this ill intent towards the children or something involving the children was like this main objective clearly because it's yeah. not like this thing was doing anything to the mom. Yeah. Not really you know, just freaking was, her out. Right. Exactly. It was, but it was never anything that was like seemed overly directed towards her. See, and the thing that, that sort of convinced me or was a, at least a check in the column of, you know, belief was there was a period of time after the second um, investigation where, and that's where the smudge on the baby's forehead happened and and all that. There was a period of time, I believe starting that night, where she and the children went and stayed with her neighbor and friend. Okay, so they, she did stay, at least try to stay with them. Okay. Yeah. So she left her, like, she left her belongings, basically, her furniture and shit, in the house for, she said, weeks that they stayed with her friend after that night. So So it was that long that that they... Yeah. That, to me, sounds like a a reasonable reaction, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean... You know, especially like developing like that that friendship with the neighbors and stuff like that much. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were like, "Just come and stay with us." Like, there's something yeah. clearly going on. Like, you need to get out of there. You yeah, know, that's like what let us let us help you out, basically. So and that but conversation during- was probably prompted by the friend who because she was there to see the thing see, happen with yeah, the baby. See stuff happen. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That and then also at the time, like she saw like the lamp. She saw the. Like the picture and stuff like that. Like she saw things happening, right? You know? But once so, she saw, once she saw the the thing affecting the kids, I could see her being like, "Okay, you guys much, just need to yeah. come and stay with us." 
Yeah. So was there ever anything that like mentioned anything ever happening as they stayed with the with the neighbors? No. Okay. No, things were they were only there for a few weeks and you know, jumping ahead, as she moved from home to home trying to sort of escape it, there was always that like sort of honeymoon phase right, in a new yeah. place. So True. I think when she went and stayed with the friends for a couple of weeks, that was well within the just you know, wasn't enough time for really phase. anything yeah. to kind of develop and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so basically, I mean, after all this, all this has happened, she decided to reach out to, um, a parapsychologist, Barry Taff and his, his group. And so, and that's where, I mean, obviously things really came into play. I feel at least in the, you know, like as described because, you know, the two, the two guys, um, uh, what was it? Gary and Jeff. Yep. Uh, you ended up climbing into the attic and, um, like just basically yell, yell back what they what they had saw and things like that. Um, and then they were hearing at that point, and the my I guess the way that I interpreted it is everybody was hearing these random footsteps running running up and down the attic, basically. Yeah, the video footage is crazy. Like, there's is there's, there actual video footage of it? Yes. Oh, that's awesome! It like. Okay. The whole time they're trying to talk to each other downstairs, it literally sounds like 10 people are running back and forth in the attic. Wow. I mean, it's insane. I've like, yeah. I've never, I've never heard. I've, cause we're so used to like ghost, ghost shows, right? Where it's like, they have to play it back for you 10 times for you to hear this tiny right. little <laughs> bump in the pipes. And, but yeah. this is like, flat out like Barry Taft described it in an in an interview as it sounded like a 200 pound rat running back and forth but it like it literally sounds like people just like stomping all That's over awesome. the fucking attic floor I hope that when we like when this is all up and live and everything like I hope that you post some links to some yes. of these videos I will I, I definitely want to check them out like that sounds awesome to me yeah. Um as terrifying as it is, like I, I'm super into that, obviously. So Yeah, check um, check the check the show notes and I'll include like a bu- I'll include a bunch of links to different videos, interviews with awesome. her and footage from the investigation. Yeah, because it's pretty crazy shit. Well apparently everybody's in for a treat then. If you want that much more of a yeah. more of a scare here, then yeah, check out all the links. Awesome. So basically, they're hearing these footsteps, um, and then you had mentioned like them basically standing back to back, yeah. Um, and then one of them basically is taking picture, you know, taking pictures uh, or trying to take a picture. Sorry, when yeah. something like rips the camera out of their out of their hands, and you later come to find out it's in multiple pieces. You know, it's in two yeah. pieces, right? Um, Spread so across this, the attic too. Right. So this thing literally trying to avoid being captured, which I'm surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, like I, I get like, I don't know. I feel like if I was a ghost, especially like, you know, this, something like this, trying to like really scare some people, sure. I'd be in to being caught, uh, caught on film because like what better way to scare them that much more? Well, like, you know, I'd be like, like, yeah, 
I personally think that this spirit did not like Jeff Wheat Jeff Wheatcraft personally. Okay. Uh, that's, I think that's, that's what that's it, possible. Yeah, I think it was less concerned with having its photo taken and but more, more. Yeah, it was uh, more super aggressive toward Jeff. Okay, that very yeah. well could be the case. Yeah, you know it's. It's hard to say. Like that's, and I didn't even think about that. Like as you know, as you're kind of telling it as well, but that that could definitely explain it. Yeah, because on their second visit, he tries to hang him. I mean, that was yeah, that was going to be another one I wanted to get into because that was basically he was being like held with a cord wrapped around his throat, right? And yeah, and uh, what was it, Gary, that comes in and yeah. You know, is able to basically get him out of it, but yeah, I mean, so I guess there was a bit, a bit of focus on him, and I don't yeah. know, like, if you know, this thing felt threatened or something, um, or if it was just maybe it was like the first focus. Maybe he was like the first one to go up. I mean, later in the Ouija board session, he they ask why it attacked Jeff, and he says. That he basically that Jeff looks like the guy who killed him. So like, that's yeah, that's fair. Okay, so I mean that hmm. he was just fucking going for him. Yeah, I I, I didn't actually like kind of put that together. So yeah. I'm glad you uh, glad you kind of bring that to light because yeah, I mean that explains a lot of the, yeah a lot of the reason like this thing was messing with them so hard. Um, the hanging and, shit is, was crazy because yeah, like that's that's pretty nuts. Gary, and there's a picture of it because like his literally when Jeff is behind Gary and Jeff screams and he's scrambling and because they're they've been using their flashes to see right. basically, so they're yeah. walking around taking photos using the flash to to see the room. I mean, this is what, so, 89, 90 yeah. or whatever. And, you know, obviously we couldn't just pull out our cell phones and pop open sure. our, you know, our yeah. Light, night yeah, flashlight. So, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> or night vision or anything. Yeah. So, like, in reaction to the scream, Gary spins around and hits the hits the camera, hits the button and uses the flash to see what the fuck's going on. And Jeff is like. I mean, the way Gary described it is while he was trying to get his fingers under the cord, like Jeff's feet were like scraping against the floor, like trying to find purchase. Like that's how lifted up off the floor he was. Like his, well, wow. the tips of his boots were like scraping against the floor, trying to stand yeah. up. That's yeah. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. Is that even in the story? I don't think that really did that seem justice then. Yeah. Um, you're just kind of knowing all that. I, that's crazy. And that's where, like, I would really... And it's terrible, but I'd love to see, like, that scene played out. Sure. You know, just because, like, it's going to add that much more to it, right? Yeah. Um. So, basically, I mean... Yeah, at that point, they they leave. You know, the initial point. That was before he had gotten basically choked out by the cord and everything. They had left. Um, Jackie starts to, you know, she reaches back out saying things are flying, you know, like she's been grabbed. She's hit her head. Like 
She felt like she was basically being pinned down, all this other stuff. They come back. Um, that's where you said you had mentioned that they had heard snapping fingers. Yeah. Yeah, before the before the hanging, um they they reported seeing like orbs all over the right. attic. Yeah. And accompanied by like snapping fingers. Like huh. the sound all around them. Like not just occasional. Just like, like were they going to a rumble or I I guess so. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sounds like almost something like out of West Side Story. Yeah. Um, no, it was like like cacophonous snapping, just like everywhere around them. Huh. So, I just I wonder what what like the significance of the snapping means. Yeah, I I don't know. Because that's a little different, right? Yeah, I had never heard that in any other case. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So the snapping, the snapping was loud enough to where it freaked out Jackie downstairs. I mean, like, then it, a- it had to have been like overbearingly loud. Like, imagine being up in the attic with all of that. Then, right? Like the snap. That's what I mean when I say the snapping is like all around them. Like when, like you know, a hundred people whisper the same words at the same time, it's loud. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um but yeah, it freaked Jackie out and when she yelled for them to come down, that's when That's he got when fucking, he, he got that stranglehold. Was hanging and yeah. Okay. Yeah, which that's where basically after all that happened, they promise, yeah, we'll be back, but never yeah. came back. Nope. She never heard anything. Yeah, they Until, stopped returning like, her phone calls. Right. And then so after that, I mean, she starts moving around. Yep. Uh, well, I guess she moved into her trailer in, what was it, 89? Uh, September of 89. And yeah. then by April is when she starts to hear, like, that kind of scratching come from the shed. Yep. Um, It's kind of odd that it originated from the shed. Uh, Honestly, I, I kind of just assumed that was an animal. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that's, it's outside. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. It could have been like a a dog or a raccoon or something behind the shed happened to be as significant enough, you know, with everything else that's happened for that to be kind of mentioned. And maybe just Um, her, her paranoia about it flipped her on edge enough to, you know, let the spirit manifest again. You know what I mean? That could very well be the thing. It'd be the case. Yeah. That, that like she gets to this point and then all of a sudden it just manifests and creates, you know, this whole thing again. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which, I mean, you know, so that's where I guess she starts to see the orbs and everything, and then the guy, like the cut to that guy, the day that she's, you know, they're bringing in the TV, uh, and the and the guys end up complaining of seeing or at least mention seeing an old man. Yeah, which I assume is the old man that was from the same right. house, right? Yeah. So, and that's where we have the latching, you know, that this is kind of essentially latched on. And whether or not it was manifested due to her, like, becoming worried and whatever else and paranoid and stuff about it again, or if this was something that just lied dormant for a small period of time and just decided, all right, we've had enough. Like, um, you know, and that's where... um, 
you know, she ends up saying like that black mist again, you know, that yeah. comes in. All right. But you would, I guess that was another thing. Another question I had that I, I wanted to make sure that I noted down. So she sees that kind of black mist again and she runs in because it goes into uh, the daughter's room or the children's room, whatever it was. And I believe you said the daughter's bed was on, it was in flames. As soon as she walked in the room, the bed, the bed caught on fire. The bedspread okay. caught on fire. Yeah. I don't... Okay, so from the description, the children weren't in bed. They were okay. in the bedroom, but they weren't in the bed. So they were, like, in the bedroom Still playing. Still bad enough, yeah. And she ran in to check on them in the bedroom. And, and the, the bed just catches yeah. fire. Yeah. Okay. Like, that, like, it, it's... It, yeah, it was just... I was. Very yeah, caught off, caught off guard by that one. Yeah. Um. So again, that ill intent that we know toward the toward children. The children. Yep. And maybe, I, maybe it was specifically for the daughter, the one that was, you know, for the short period of time was to be, and then now is a thing. Yeah. Who, who knows? Um. But yeah, and then they end up. She finally gets a hold of Taff again. They finally reply. They end up breaking out the Ouija board with. Uh, some, I guess, what, couple neighbors as well, and one neighbor uh, and and Jeff, the guy who got strangled. Yeah, and then that's yeah. where they, I mean they had a whole slew of responses. Yeah, and I mean of them like asking why they were doing it and like you know what was going on and everything. I mean, like some of the responses seemed, and I don't know if those were one hundred percent like the exact responses they had or if they were like embellished at all at all, like or at all. <laughs> like you know um you know if it was if it was something like they got every single response out of it because i mean like they were like dark very very yeah. dark and like dark and a little flowery honestly yeah. like the one response the initial response when they ask how many how many spirits he says how many ghosts are there are there in yeah. here? And the response is phantoms fill the skies around you. Right. Like, like that was the other thing. Very, it's like, it's very flowery it's, language. It's like almost like cryptic, but like, yeah, it's like poetry. It, yeah. It's, I, I, that's what I thought. And I was very, it's very weird. I mean, yeah, but the fact that they also had like the responses and everything again, I mean, they they had everything was like responded they they had a lot of activity that came out of it like phantoms fill the skies around you that's a lot more planchette movement than like six right exactly you know what i mean like that's really I all mean, we needed yeah um so yeah that was that was a little a little off putting really cool though like yeah. I, you know obviously I, I love the idea of Ouija boards and like you, you know activity i know that i've i've experienced from them and everything never quite been like that you yeah, know that's never. that's insane yeah they claim um, that they claim that they attempted to film the the ouija board experiment and they were dealing with constant malfunctions with the equipment during that day of course you know was why wouldn't they yeah i mean obviously it's convenient that all their shit would fail but like, yeah, that's, and that also seems to be like a very popular occurrence, right? Yeah, and I think they've 
they, like we're not one of them. They've come up with this, <laughs> like the the theory that you know ghosts draw and have to draw energy from the things around them oh, yeah. to manifest, right? So that's why like batteries go dead and like mm-hmm. electronics malfunction. I don't know. I mean, it's it is awfully convenient. It's an awfully convenient thing to happen yeah. consistently. I mean, that's that's the only kind of unfortunate part because, I mean, of them catching pictures and video and stuff of like, and then audio, like, of all these other things that have happened, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it just almost seems a little too convenient. But, like you said, these things do draw on energy. Like, and, you know, and that's what, that's where in a lot of cases you'll see like the power will go out and things like that because it'll like blow like a breaker or a fuse or something drawing too much yeah um you know being able to manifest and that's you know how they can basically do so yeah lights flickering all that just exactly pulling energy yeah there's um after the the seance or the Ouija board session they they did some digging into into the history because obviously you know spurred by the comment you know you you are the likeness of my killer right so basically they come up with this theory that that this was that this guy is a restless spirit or whatever because yeah he was killed right um and they find that one of the one of the former residents of her home of that home in San Pedro um, during the twenties, he was a sailor and he had kind of like a nasty reputation and he was actually the main suspect of two separate murder cases and got off on both. Okay. Yeah. So that would, and that was the one that, he said that Jeff bared a like likeness yes. to, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So they they had a theory. There were like two different two different guys who drowned, who were like killed in the water. And they yeah, so they had this this theory that it was that this ghost was one of those two men. Okay. That were killed by wow. this former resident. Yeah, that was the theory they came up with, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds good. Like, yeah, it definitely sounds good. Um, I mean, obviously, if this like this thing paying so much attention and physically coming at Jeff in particular, like yeah, yeah, definitely makes sense. I think so. Right up there with the hanging attempt, I think one of the scariest moments of this story is what she experienced before she calls him panicked the like basically the the spirit the ghost grabs her and holds her down right yeah slams her against the wall and like knocks her unconscious and when she comes to on the floor the ghost is pinning her to the floor like that's some scary shit dude oh that would be awful yeah and literally i mean you have no control like there's nothing you can do like i mean yeah, that's Yeah, that that sounds absolutely terrible. Yeah. 
And so I, yeah, I, I have to agree. I think that's probably one of the scariest parts about it. That and then everything with the children. And I think yeah. specifically the daughter's bed just bursting into flames. Yeah. Like, in, regardless whether she was at it or not, like, that doesn't matter. Yeah. The intent is displayed, right? Like, it's very yeah. obvious at that point. And you know how fast um, a, a trailer burns down? Oh, yeah. So fast. I mean, yeah. In the fucking snap of a finger. No pun intended. So, like, <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. No, like, it, a, it really is. A few things scarier than a house fire. Like, oh, I know. And to think that it could be that one could be caused by, you know, an angry spirit is pretty fucking scary. It really is. Like, that's what's that's what's messed up about it. I mean, you know, and that's where, like, you think about it. Just. uh, Yeah. Like, it makes me always want to stay on the good side. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling a little unsettled over there, are you? Just a little bit, man. Yeah, that's fair. It's and just as you know, we've discussed like you know, I've seen I've seen a lot of these things, and I know like you know, and I've known a lot of people that have had you know significant experiences like being pinned down and things like that too. Um, you know, so like, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's all well and fine. It's not, but you know, like it's all well and fine, but you know, that's that's nothing on literally like something causing like i mean you know, causing like an area to burn down or yeah. you know can like just causing like all this physical harm that could potentially be yeah it's to, crazy you know everyone there yeah it's just that's that's what's messed up yeah to me, at least. it's very scary and so i'm glad that she was able i mean you know after moving around and everything and you know um basically finally stopping at the the condo i believe you said was was in like downtown la basically yeah um and then after that never experienced anything again yeah you know so which is great but like it also makes you kind of wonder like what caused this this separation at that point from this thing that was clearly latched on and you know like stayed with her for so long stayed with them for so long yeah i think one of one significant thing that happened during that time period is she was getting her degree she was going to school while she worked and okay around the time she kind of landed that like goal job was around the time she stopped experiencing the haunting basically where she was in a better place mentally maybe yes. emotionally yeah um she wasn't feeling as defeated yeah like she felt like maybe she had won at that point like you yeah. know and that's where because yeah these things feed off of negative energy off off of weakness and things like that that's another you know way that they can physically manifest so you are know, you here. saying the fact that I've never had a a paranormal experience i should take that as a compliment <laughs> i mean maybe <laughs> <laughs> an ode to my positivity maybe I, I don't know about all that but you know <laughs> um yeah it's I, I think just like it takes a situation 
Um, and, and something unique, something specific, you know yeah. what I mean? And I mean, the, you know, like, and, and everybody's been in bad places. Like, you know, it's, it's little, like little things, like whatever. You know, obviously in this case, I think, I think just, just her history was really, like, really what maybe brought it along. Okay. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying, now, now I feel like I'm saying that this is her fault. That's no, not no, what no. I'm saying at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. I, but I'm saying like just like just that like sadness that like defeated you know like that defeat like that you know her abusive relationship like yeah and then also like living for her child at that point you know like all these all these things that like can literally like just you know be manipulated by this external force yeah and I think um, on top of that. It's not only like negative situations, but like situations of significant change and like transition. Yeah, that's true. That's true for sure. People, yeah, I, think, the, I think that makes a difference. Yeah, people that are in like emotionally liminal spaces, right, where they're in transition from one phase of their lives to the next, are commonly like the center of these stories, right? Like. Yeah. A, a super frequent target of like poltergeist activity and hauntings and possessions are girls around the time that they get their first period. Right? That's like a reoccurring thing. Yeah. yeah over and true. over again. Because that's, I mean, a life changing event. Yeah, like exactly. something that's significant. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that like transition from one phase of life to the next. Right? Mm hmm. Yeah. So, I think, yeah, I think, I think you're, you're definitely right. You're right for sure. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. It's definitely unfortunate. I mean, I'm glad, you know, that she was able to get out of that. Yeah, the rare haunting uh, happy the endings. The, right, exactly. You know, that's that's huge. And that also things worked out in her favor eventually. Like, and you know, and I don't, I don't know how she's doing to this day and everything. But regardless like was you know something so massive that she went through and came out in much more of a positive state than when she went in yeah absolutely that's rare for sure yeah so you know one thing yeah, that's that awesome. one thing that kind of freaked me out when i was researching this was that her son was born the same year and month as me and her daughter was born the same month and year as my little sister. Like, huh? Yeah, April eighty-seven yeah, and April eighty-nine. Super weird. So this, could, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, this could hit kind of close to home. Yeah, yeah. Just a weird synchronicity there. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all all about those weird synchronicities. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's super cool though. Like, yeah. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not like, yeah. I mean, just, just the fact that this is a story you did that happened to be, you know, kind of, yeah. Yeah. I like those. I, I feel like when those, when things, those little synchronicities happen, like, whether you consider them like significant or not, when I notice them, I find that significant. Because I'm sure little things like that are happening constantly all the time. It's just a matter of like whether yeah. you notice them or not. 
When I notice them, I take them as like a little nod from the universe that I'm like on the right track. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, that's and that's how a lot of, you know, a lot of that's kind of viewed as well as it can either be like something. I don't want to say higher powery or whatever, like pointing you in the right direction. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to is it's like just like a little nod. Like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I dig it. That's awesome. I, I really enjoyed the story. Um, uh, I enjoyed the case. I mean, as as terrible as it as it is, you know, like, um, yeah, this is this is a good one and definitely was very off putting. So yeah. well <laughs> you're welcome. Before we um, is, before yeah. we wrap up, um, go like you know join our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, this is a good time to throw it out. Yeah. Uh patreon.com slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. Uh we do have multiple tiers. Uh we do have several patrons right now, including a new one. Uh new patron, you want to do the shout out? Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Rick Belcher. We yes. um thank you so much. He actually connected we connected um personally on the uh Kryptonaut podcast fan group on Facebook and yeah and I had posted you know I had posted one of our episodes a while back and he started binging the episodes and when he saw that we'd launched a Patreon he jumped right on so hats off to you Rick yeah and guys just to give you a little heads up I mean you know we do again we do have multiple tiers um, and we also have exclusive discord access which we do have a discord now as well uh check for the links in all of our uh socials uh, pretty much all of our posts that we keep posting um but also patreon gives you access to exclusive bonus episodes content uh we even have a tier that also gives you exclusive swag that you can get monthly yeah uh where we send you out some cool stuff so um you know just check it out yeah and also, if you'd like to not type 85 characters to get there, you can just hit us up on Instagram, go to the link in the bio, and it'll take you straight to Patreon. Yes. Like, yep. Just follow our Linktree links. Yep. Um, also, in every episode description, there is also the link to the Patreon as well. Yep. So feel free to follow that one too. Also, you can check out our uh, TeePublic uh, store as well. Yep. Uh, tpublic.com slash campfire tales the strange and unsettling as well. Yeah. If you go there now, um, you will find an incredible new design done by our friend Jonathan Dodd. So, so good. So good. Turned out phenomenally. Yes. Um, yes. Do yourself a favor, guys. And there's also currently a discount that we are offering on it. So, yeah. Uh, that is available over the next couple of days. Once it's done, it's done. Yeah, and then it'll only be a discount, a discount only for our Patreon. So, yep. do yourself a favor. Again, check out our Patreon, our T Public uh, affiliate page, um, and just make sure to like and subscribe. Again, Spotify now has the uh, the rating that you can do. Yep, make sure to do so. Um, I know we haven't mentioned that a whole lot, but that is a thing that is available now. Yeah, um, and we've gotten a lot of ratings, which has been awesome. Yeah, so. for sure, it's fantastic. I'd actually, like, at some point, I think it would be cool to read through some of the reviews that we've gotten over time. So if you, if you want to get, if you want to have your review read on the show, leave us one. That's the only way, yeah. you know, we could do that. <laughs> yes. And please, please, you know, support us. It helps us 
continuing, you know, continue to do this because this is very time consuming, but we love it at the same time. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, you know, any little bit, any little bit helps, even if it's just a shout out, like awesome job guys. Yeah. That makes a difference. Yeah. So. If you don't, you know, if you don't, if you're not in a financial place to, to contribute financially, like, like, subscribe, share us with a friend. Like all that is equally valuable. Yeah, that's huge. And that concludes episode 29, the San Pedro Poltergeist. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.